трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона Hello and welcome to the Russian Football News Podcast, bringing you the latest information on Russian football from uh, Russian Football News writers. So joining me, as per usual, we have the website editor, Toka Thelade. How are you, sir? Hey, Thomas. Good to be back. Good stuff. And we also have Andrew Flint, of course, the, one of the writers for the website. Hey, Thomas. Good to, good to be back again. Like Toka says, looking forward to this one. Good stuff. So, we've, as you said, looking forward to this one. We've got some good topics today. Uh, well, I'll just run through them at the start. We've got the, the pitches scandal that's uh, dominated the headlines, particularly around Western Europe in recent days with Manchester United playing Rostov, of course, in the Europa League. Then we've got a piece uh, on Tom Tomsk, who have had a lot of troubles recently. And then we're going to discuss our friend Alexander Kokorian. So let's just start with the Rostov and Ruben pitches. So obviously last week, Rostov drew 1-1 against Manchester United at home. But the constant questions were about the state of the pitch. And everyone said it was a cabbage patch or whatever. But the match sort of went off without a hitch. Now, since then, the Russian Premier League have deemed the Rostov pitch unsuitable. Now... UEFA, technically, because they haven't said anything, still deem this pitch suitable at Rostov. So, Andrew, what's your take on the whole situation here? Well, it's a bit laughable, if I'm honest. And um, you know, we like to, you know, we like to defend Russian clubs as much as we can. But I think, oh, not Russian clubs. This is obviously the Premier League, an issue with them. Um, how a pitch can go from being passed suitable by the continental organisation to suddenly being unsuitable by the Russian Premier League is is just beyond me, and I have to be honest. It starts to make me think that this was a part of a tactic to make life slightly uncomfortable for Manchester United. And um, now, I looked at the pitch, and it is obviously below par. But the, what really frustrates me the most out of all of this is that we know that the Russian winter is harsh. And I know Rostov, OK, they are one of the clubs that have had serious financial problems in recent years, but it, it will end up affecting them more if they have to relocate and not get the revenue from the home games. Um, if they don't invest in a, a just basic preparation of the pitch, I can't believe it is, it is so difficult to, um, to pre- create a surface when you know exactly what the conditions are going to be. You know, whether it's undersoil heating, whether it's covering the pitch, whatever it is, I, I have to be honest, I don't think Rostov come out of this in the in the best of light. Um, the Russian Premier League, even even less so. Uh, I, I have to be honest, it's not it's not a good week for for the governing body, in my opinion. Can I just put something to you, Andrew? Because you mentioned there about, oh, how can they not do that? What I would say is we know that the Rostov players, um, well, I've heard that they haven't been paid for about three months. So if they, the players are seeing undersaw heating or whatever, just for the special visit of the glorious Manchester United, and they're thinking, hang on, we haven't been paid. You know, you, that's got to be their priority, well, hasn't it? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I, mean I, I don't see this as just for Manchester United. I think the fact that Manchester United came has highlighted the issue. Um, you know, we all know, or certainly followers of English football know that uh, Jose Mourinho likes to, likes to moan a fair bit, um, partly out of mind games, partly just because that's the way he is, I guess. But, um, but you know, for the rest of the season, they, the players can't enjoy playing on a surface as, as uneven as that. And, I, you know, part of me wants to criticise the club for not preparing the surface better. But, you know, because it, it, it really is, it cannot possibly be so difficult to create a surface 
you know, once you've played after two or three games after the winter, I can actually understand that more because you'd churn up the surface. But it's not like the Olymp 2 stadium is shared with another team or even another sport like some football clubs in other countries are. Um, but, you know, it's how it was passed by UEFA. I think that might actually be the bigger point. It's not so much the Russian Premier League. Perhaps I was harsh in my earlier comment. Perhaps it's actually UEFA. How were they able to pass that pitch as fit? Because, you know, a number of times we've seen Russian clubs in Europe relocate their games. Um, we saw... Angie, they played a UEFA Cup or Europa League game against Newcastle in in Moscow a that, few years sorry, ago. So that was due to sort of um, local sort of terrorist incidents, though, rather than the pitch, though, wasn't it? Yeah, but I mean, okay, whatever the reason is, if you can't play at the home stadium, there are options around. Is is really my point? Um, and I, I, I just think I think it's um, the whole episode is is not it's not great. It's not great. Toka, I've, I've ignored you for a few minutes. I apologise as I was arguing with Mr. Flint there. So what's your take on all this? I'm glad I'm, I'm finally allowed to speak, Thomas. I really okay. appreciate it's that. Okay. We'll, give you more, <laughs> we'll give you some more permission in the future. It's fine. You'll <laughs> be allowed good. back, I promise. Oh, that's good. Well, it, it obviously is embarrassing. I mean, you have the biggest game in the history of the club. You have all eyes on Rostov. I mean... I think most TV stations in the world broadcasted that game simply because it was Manchester United, uh, also because it was Rostov, of course, we know they are a magnet to viewers all over the world, but anyway, I think it is it, just embarrassing that they can't get the pitch ready, I mean, they had three months over the winter, and of course, it is Russia, it's not the easiest environment, but Rostov uh, Antan is relatively south, and it really, it really shouldn't be that bad, I mean, we have seen clubs in more difficult environment, have better pitches, and I, I think ju- it's just, it's just terrible. It's just, it's just sad that something like that steals the picture from a, from a great game like like that one. But, I really, it really, it really annoyed me. I have to say that. But sorry, but, sorry, Toko, I'm going to make the same point I made to Andrew. If you can't pay the players, how can you expect them to have a proper pitch? Essentially, yeah, it's, it's true. Then, then we're back at the, <laughs> at the discussion that whether or not Rostov should even play in Europe. Yeah. I mean. There were pretty uh, good evidence that they did breach uh, UEFA's financial fair play records. They haven't paid their players for months. I mean, we have seen club being banned for lesser things. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, it's sad that it has come this far out, I think. The, the thing I would say is, and I, I tweeted this at the time of the game, when, because when there's a, an FA Cup match, for example, and we have a lovely sort of WC a team go to a non-league place and the pitch is all bubbly and everything. We think, oh, wow. And we say the romance of the FA Cup. But as soon as it's Rostov, and this, let's bear in mind, like I said, the financial situation at Rostov is dire. And arguably, so. I mean, these non-league teams aren't doing the revenues that Rostov are with the European things, but at least they can pay their players so they can therefore have a bit of extra income for the pitch. So what's the difference there, Andrew? What's the difference between romance of the FA Cup and then this dire cabbage patch in Russia? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, that element, I did, I'll be honest, feel a little bit of that on the night itself because we heard a lot of pre-match comments from, uh, you know, like I say, Mourinho and the official who apparently said to him, well, the players have insurance, so there's no problem there. And you knew that was going to rile him up and make an atmosphere. And I'm a Manchester United fan. I want to see Manchester United go through, but I also am interested in how the Russian clubs cope with this. And at the time, you know, when... Bukharov scored, uh, you know, good equaliser, and 
you thought the atmosphere was pretty intense and the pitch is a part of that. And I thought, well, okay, I from this from the TV, I have to be honest, from a distance the pitch didn't look actually horrific. But when you see it close up, you can see how uneven it is. But at the time it, I, I agree with you. I felt a bit of that, you know, that sentiment. Well, it's it's a club who doesn't have the means to provide the best surface, but they're making the best of it they can and it's and whatnot. But for me, the the, the embarrassment here is Partly on the club, but more so on the decision-making. Um, I'm wondering, just this is off the top of my head here, I'm wondering whether, because it was the effectively the biggest game in their, in their history, um, alongside the Bayern Munich one, I guess, perhaps the club themselves put serious pressure on UEFA to let them play the game because they knew the consequences if they didn't. You know, taking away their home support was a huge part of it. So... Um, yeah, I mean, there is an element of that, Thomas, I agree. But in hindsight of how the decisions were made and what we've seen the Russian Premier League say, I think it becomes, it leaves a sour taste for me. Yeah, in Toka, we spoke about it just before we started recording this, actually. I mentioned that, you know, the RPL have said, right, these pitches are not suitable. But like I said, UEFA haven't said anything. But I, I said to you that this is actually more of a, just the RPL trying to look good because... Rostov don't have a uh, home game till the 1st of April. And Rubin, who we should mention as well, by the way, I want to actually discuss a bit more on this section, don't have a home game till 31st of March. So really, it's sort of an, an empty statement, if you like, because two weeks, it's not like, oh, these pitches are unsuitable and it's dreadful. They're actually saying, well, we're just trying to look good and you've got two weeks to sort it out, which is plenty of time. Yeah, probably. And it's worth noticing that the stadium band in Kazan is the central new stadium, the old stadium that played for, not the World Cup stadium. So, and, and they played on the, on the old stadium for the last two games, the cup final and the and last weekend, simply because, interestingly enough, that the pitch at Kazan Arena was also terrible and wasn't ready to play on. That means they had two stadiums in Kazan with a terrible pitch, which is just, yeah, as I said, embarrassing. But the plan is that they move back to Kazan Arena for the next home game. So this band is, it's even more pointless because they have the real stadium that they're going to move back to. And when we speak about these stadiums, I can understand that the stadium in Rostov, I can understand that the old stadium in Kazan, that the pitches are poor there, because, well, it's it's old star, old school Soviet stadiums. Maybe they don't have heat in, in, the, in, the, in the pitch and all that. I don't know. I assume they have, but, but who knows? It's old stadiums. But the fact that they can't get Kazan Arena, at, at a three-year-old stadium, ready for the season start in the spring, at, at World Cup ground and everything, I mean... I, I really don't understand that. That's that's beyond me because that stadium should have every condition perfect for the for the environment and for the weather. I mean, they knew that it's gonna be cold in the winter, so hopefully they plan for stuff like that so they can play at the stadium almost all year round. Yeah, Tokyo, you mentioned the World Cup there with Kazan, and this is why I really want to talk about them because it's not just the World Cup. They've got the Confederations Cup coming up in a few months. There, it's a Confederations Cup ground, so. I mean, Andrew, arguably, the Kazan thing... Obviously, Rostov is getting the headlines because of the Man United thing. Mm -hmm. But the bigger problem is in Kazan. Well, it is. I mean, I, I agree completely with what Toka says. It's quite... It's, it's, again, it's embarrassing that a brand-new state-of-the-art stadium, and it does look fantastic, um, is not... They've not been able to prepare for whatever reason it is, whether it's financing or just planning. Um, the only thing I would say, though, is that... That it is not actually a, a it's not actually an unusual problem in different new stadia around the world getting grass to actually bed in properly to get the right elements of wind, rain, sunshine to 
get the grass to grow properly. I've seen this before. Old Trafford, Manchester United's ground itself has had countless problems with the pitch in the last 10 years. And I don't know how many times they've relayed the pitch. And sometimes within a few games of having laid it the last time. And that's, we're looking at the wealthiest club, one of the wealthiest clubs in the world. So it is embarrassing. I can't believe there is not the technology and foresight to be able to prepare this. But what I would say is, and it's not a great defence, but it, it does happen. Um, it's I've seen it happen elsewhere. So, yeah, like you say, for the Confederations Cup, this is really... I think the Confederations Cup is about one of the most important Confederations Cups we're going to see because it's Russia's chance. While there's a, an element of more positive coverage in the media in recent weeks, and then the Confederations Cup comes along, it's a great chance to show off these new stadia. I desperately hope the pitch will be ready for them, and I think it will be because I think they will realise the same thing. They'll realise how important this is to show the world how ready the stadium is. I think it will be ready, but it does highlight the need to you know get the skates on. Like you say, there's only, there's not many not many weeks left before it needs to be ready, but I think it will be. Yeah, just just a quick side topic, by the way. I was flying back from St. Petersburg via Frankfurt the other day. I flew over Fra- Frankfurt, Frankfurt, you know Eintracht Frankfurt. The stadium there, we flew over it. Oh my gosh, it looked absolutely magnificent. You know, then they have the lights on the pitch at night to keep the grass growing. Those sort of lovely coloured oh. soft lighting. Oh, it's so lovely to see out the aeroplane. Anyway, just to sort of round this topic off, um, Toka, do we assume that both these pitches will be ready in time? To, let's say for the next home game. And obviously, Andrew says he thinks Kazan will be ready for the Confeds. And you'd imagine that to be the case. I think Russell will eventually return to the old... old uh to the stadium, as you said, they have a good amount of time until the next game. But I doubt that, I mean, you you can't fix a pitch that quickly. I mean, okay, it will still, it will get some time time to get better. But at the end of the season, it will still be a terrible pitch. Um, because it was, it was, it was completely ruined. I mean, there are big parts of it, but there's no, literally no grass. So obviously you can't fix that in two weeks time or, or three weeks even. So yeah, they'll, they'll return to the stadium, but Rastov's pitch will be bad for the rest of the season, which, as as we talked about earlier, is not completely a disadvantage for them, because they do not play this possession-based football game, and and maybe it can even be an advantage against the bigger teams who come to to Rastov and try to control the game and pass the ball around. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, I don't know whether in the '90s you watched Ground Force with Alan Titchmarsh and stuff, or maybe that was just me. I was just thinking <laughs> well, you should get get Charlie Dimmock to put a water feature on there, get Tommy Walsh to do some building, <laughs> Alan Titchmarsh will sort the grass out. We're all sorted. Anyway, <laughs> did you well, ever watch I, it? Yeah, I, I, occasionally, occasionally I did, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, whether whether Titchmarsh and Dimmock could be the answer to their problems, I'm not sure. But <laughs> would they pay them? You know, I, I would just, um, I'd say just one, one last thing for me on this general topic, um, is, you know, we, we say, what could the clubs do, you know, financially? How can you prepare the pitch? Because there's only a limit to how much you can do. Artificial pitches is a, is an issue that has to be addressed at some point because quite a few games, um, in the, certainly the second tier anyway, my, my club, um, Chumen. Yay, we got the bingo. I'm I'm one all up, I think, on that one. Just need to slip in the Danish saying and I'm probably yeah. probably home and dry. But yeah. um we we had a, a lot of investment was spent in our stadium and it's up to Premier League standards and it, it is an artificial pitch. But even this artificial pitch had to be relayed at the beginning of this season. That was only 
what, three seasons into having it as an artificial pitch. So it says to me that there is an option there. And the best artificial pitches, the players complain of injuries um, created by the impact on the ground. But overall, I'd say it's, um, it's almost a bargain I'd be willing to strike as a club owner. But you've got to look after these pitches. Um, so if they're, if they're done well in the right way, a lot of money at the beginning to lay them, but then it, theoretically less money to less money will be lost by having to rearrange games. So I think it's something that should be looked at, but it's got to be the best quality of artificial pitches if they go down that route. Okay, so we're going to move on to our second topic now, which is the, the dealings of Tom Tomsk, who are bottom of the table, lots of financial trouble. Now, Toka, you put a really interesting article up onto the Russian Football News website, russianfootballnews.com, obviously, uh, about this, about whether it undermined the um, the whole competitive nature of, of the Russian Premier League here. So sort of go into a bit of detail of what you put in the article and also a bit of background information for the listeners about what's gone on in general. And sure, well, basically what, what Tom's did this winter was to sell almost the entire squad. I think they had eight players left um, at, the, at, at the beginning of this season, uh, the spring season, who had experience from the Russian Premier League before. So basically they sold the entire squad, brought in 20-something new players, the majority of these coming from the youth department, and a few others having some experience in the in the second tier and, and lower league football of, of Russia. So they changed the, the entire squad during the winter. Furthermore, they had to move the first home game to Rostov, from, from Tom's to Rostov, because ironically enough, the pitch wasn't <laughs> wasn't suitable to play football on, uh, which of course meant that Rostov had two home games against Tom Tomsk instead of a home game and an away game. And of course they lost, was it, uh, it was 6-0, I think. Um, and yeah, then last week we saw them being demolished once again. They lost 4-0 in Moscow to, to Siskan. Should probably have lost with, with more goals even. And yeah, my, my entire problem with this is, first of all, of course, the fact that they don't play the home games at their own turf. I think that undermines the, the integrity of the league because some team get advantages. They also move some games in the fall to, to their away stadiums. And then we have the whole, the whole point, which is another point that they don't pay their players, that the club is massively in debt, that they have the players going month and month without uh, being paid. I think uh, the last time they were paid was some sometime summer before the season, which is just, I mean, I, I can't even imagine what they're like for the players. And that's one of the biggest problems, in my opinion, with Russian football. So, yeah, basically we have the, we have the problem that now we have some teams who met Rasta, who met Tom's twice in the in the fall, which means we have a team like Lokomotiv who met two strong, or relatively strong, time size compared to the teams who meet them in the spring now, where it's basically a free victory. They lost their first three games this um, this spring, and yeah, it's it's just embarrassing to watch. It's it's really there really shouldn't be a team with that level in in Russia in the Russian top flight, not the sixth best league in Europe. That's that's awful. So, Andrew, I mean, would you go as far as kicking them out? Something drastic has to be done. That's the short answer. In the short term, right now, at this point of the season, I'd say it's actually pretty difficult because, like Toka says, it does actually have a huge, huge bearing on 
a lot of very important issues at the top and bottom of the league. So, you know, you like you like you mentioned, Ufa are actually one of the clubs who potentially will lose out in this because they had to play an away game against them, and I believe they dropped points. They they drew there, um, and now it's it's virtually guaranteed not just to be a win but a comfortable win there. So you could even afford to rest players for more important games. And it's it's just uh, it is a complete mockery of the competition. What should be done about it? Well, I think the only thing that can be done is is in the long term to prevent it happening again. Um, and what by that I mean a, even stricter financial fair play rules, whether that's UEFA FIFA um, regulated financial fair play or just simply the Russian Premier League version of the rules. If a club cannot show evidence that they have funds to pay the players, perhaps perhaps there should be a system whereby clubs must submit the money for at least a portion of the players' salaries to the Premier League so they cannot spend it on anything else to guarantee that players get paid. Um, perhaps something like that needs to happen. I mean, it, it's an extreme measure, but I think it's important, like Toka mentioned in his, his excellent editorial, that the integrity of the league is maintained. So, I mean, to answer your question, Thomas, long term, I think stricter preventative financial measures, such as holding funds for players' salaries, should be established. And in the short term, I, I don't think there is, is anything that can be done. And and that's a real, real shame, especially for a club like Ufa. I mean, Toka, this is not just a Tom Tom's problem. This is a Russian football problem, like you said. Why? I mean, it's probably a bit of a broad question, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Why does this, in terms of Europe's top leagues, like you said, the sixth best league according to UEFA, why does this only happen in Russia? That's a good question. And in my opinion, it's because unlike basically all other countries in in Western Europe, the Russian um, the Russian clubs, they aren't really focused on the business side of the game. I mean, they get, for with a few exceptions like Senate, no, not even Senate, uh, Spartak and, and Siska, with a few exceptions of clubs that are privately owned, but the majority of the clubs get their money from the regional governments or government-owned companies, and they're just not concerned with with the the business side of the game. I mean, they know, okay, we'll eventually get our money. We'll complain to Mutko. We'll complain to the governor, and it, and usually things go all right. I mean, I remember it was uh, Spartak founder Nikolai Stadustin who once said that one of the reasons for Spartak's success was that it was basically the only club ever concerned with <laughs> with financial issues. I mean, all the other teams, they didn't really care about attracting people to the stadium. They didn't really care about selling players for for maximum profit. I mean, for them, they got the money. They they couldn't care less about the business side of the game. And I think that's that's a major problem these days. We, we see it every, every week at the, at the attendances across the country. The stadiums are practically empty. I mean... If you if you know you have a failing business, if you know you you lack money, then you have to do everything to to actually get some income income to get people to the stadiums. But the clubs they just don't do that, and yeah, I think it's it's all because they don't take the, the financial side of the game serious. It's they just it's just business as usual. It's business like it was in the in the Soviet time where they got the money from some um, uh, governmental institutions or some government owned companies of factories whatever and i think that's really what what needs to change in russian football and that i think that's actually the, 
the major issue. You really need to reform it. You need to modernize it. And these clubs had to be has to be brought up to speed because what's going on right now that's that's just disgraceful. I mean, Andrew, I know you're big on sort of the regionalization of Russian football, I guess you'd say, in sort of lower levels. Is an answer for this, because we see it practically every season, to be honest, is an answer for this making, well, having fewer teams in the Premier League, perhaps? Well, it's certainly an option that should be looked at, I think, because every every season, the bottom two, three, four clubs are so far behind the rest that it's it's almost would they wouldn't be missed on a competitive sense. Now I don't want to take away the you know they if teams have earned the right by you know playing good football, getting promoted, they deserve the right. But I think there's you know what's the right what what is that right? Is it to be utterly humiliated? Is it to not play not pay um, employees on time and and in the long term damage yourself as a club even more? I don't think that's I don't think it's right. So you know, if there were, for example, we have 16 teams at the moment, if we had, say, 14 teams in the Premier League, I actually don't know whether that would itself change matters. But I would, like you mentioned, I'm a big fan of regionalising the second tier and having fewer professional clubs across the whole country. I think that would have, you know, from a bottom-up way of reforming the system, I think that would actually help the Premier League as well, because you'd have clubs slightly better prepared because there'll be less there'll be less spending on a regional regional government level across the whole country. Um personally I think the whole ownership system is flawed uh, in the sense that a regional government has a responsibility to all of its citizens and that includes of course, roads, schools, hospitals, whatever it is, um, and a football club is only one part of that. So, obviously, if there's if it's only one part of a much bigger picture, the priority is not going to always be the football club. Whereas, you know, I think private ownership is the way to go. Either that, or encourage a system like in Germany, like a strong membership ownership of clubs. That and the regionalisation of the second tier. Um, personally, I would. I'd make the third tier. I wouldn't make it professional. I just it's just so it's such a joke down there. Um, the second division, third tier, it, the, the number of teams in each division changes each year for for various reasons, and it's it's just there's no integrity down that end of the scale. Um, so that's what that's what I would do. I wouldn't necessarily cut the Premier League, but I would I would limit and regionalise the second tier. Yeah, going about the regionalisation, we talked about non-league earlier with the Rostov pitch and everything, but I'd say look at the Vanarama National North and South in England. And England's obviously a much smaller country, and that seems to work quite well. And you have to be honest, the finances at that, the sort of the fifth and sixth tier, essentially, of English football is the same as Russian third, so I'd go with that. The only thing I would say about the membership thing, it works in Germany, but I know, well, I've heard that in Brazil, for example, they have a membership scheme, and there's a lot of mess going on there. But Toka, I mean, Andrew's mentioned a few reform ideas there. What what would you do in terms of Tom Tom's this season and also in general going into the future? That's two very very different questions. Well, as I wrote in the editorial, I think Tom Tom's should have been kicked out. I think it's very important to send uh, to send a message to all the clubs who who don't live up to the who don't live up to what the promise the players. I mean, we see so many clubs go bankrupt every year. Um, we see so many players going unpaid. I spoke with. Well, would you? Uh, sorry, Dan, very quickly, Toka. Would you kick out yeah. Rostov then? 
because they haven't paid for three months. They had a lot of issues last year. What's the difference? I mean, yeah, what, do, you, do you know where where do you draw the line of of the, the months without pay, if you like? Yeah, that that's obviously something you have to decide. But I, I've also been very open about. It. I think Russia should have been punished severely, and as I said earlier on that past this podcast, even they probably shouldn't even have been allowed to play in Europe this season um, for the way they behave and the way they conduct their business. I think it's. I think the problem. I believe we have sp- spoken a bit about this earlier on another podcast in Russian football is that there's no real consequences. I mean, what happens if you don't pay your salaries? Eventually, you'll get a, a, a re- registration ban from the Russian Football Union. But we usually see those being lifted a week or so before the end of the transfer window so the clubs can still register all the new players. And we don't even see point deduction. Maybe we'll get a fine of a few thousand euros, but in the big picture, what does that even matter? And that's that's just a problem. There's no consequences for doing this. You can go months without paying your players, and it doesn't mean anything. And that that's also another part of the problem is the fact that Russia really needs... Uh, a decent players union. The, the the currently official players union is one big scam. I mean, I I met with a guy from the Russian football union who showed me documents of uh, of this um, players union, and they had they had falsified documents, for example, from Ashavin, from Vladimir Bistrov, from all these great players saying that they were members of the football of the players union. And then they got this official tag and is now a member of, of Fifth Pro, the International Players Union. While we have a smaller players union who's actually working with players, that's the one Roman Shirokov works with, who actually trying to help all these players who gets hurt every year by by clubs not um, living up to their living up to what they should. And yeah, that's an, that's another major part of the problem: the fact that there's there's no protection from the players, and that's both that's really because the Russian football union doesn't take its responsibility uh, relating to the players seriously. And I think that's, <laughs> I've said that many times before on this podcast, but it's really, it really is disgraceful. And, and it's all a big part of the of one of the things that need to be reformed with Russia uh, and Russian football structures. I mean, like I said, it will happen every season. So we'll just see what happens next season, I guess, because it's Tom Tom's this season. Who knows who will be next season? I mean, We've seen Angie do it in the January transfer, well, the, the winter transfer window in Russia this season. But um, moving on to the last topic now, Angie, linking quite nicely to the next one with Kokorin, of course, who used to play there. Now, Kokorin has once again been hitting the headlines in Russia, as he tends to do every couple of weeks for his stuff off the pitch. So he's he's due in court for driving offences and things like that, and he's not been called up for the national team for the uh, the upcoming matches. I mean... Andrew, I saw, like, like I said again before the recording, I read a good article on Sportbox. It's only short, but the headline really grabbed me. It says, Kokorin now needs to decide whether he wants to play football or not because he's not some young kid anymore. He's 25. You know, this is prime time now. Big clubs, any, you know, you should really be doing a lot more. I mean, what's the problem is, is basically the question. Well, it's... Kokorin's history is, I think, is the, his main problem. It's, it's very difficult to shake a tag of being an irresponsible, distracted, unmotivated in in the professional sense of the word. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to shake those sort of tags. I personally, on the pitch, have been impressed of him in, and it's going to sound ironic given 
you know, the, the story has just come out about his driving offence, but I've been impressed with his maturity on the pitch this season. He's, but, but does he really you know, do anything, he, Andrew? Do you know what I mean? Does he really do anything? Well, well you see, I, in my opinion, he does, because what he, what he used to be was, he, he was a headline-grabbing striker. He, you know, he used to get the goals. He was always involved in the centre of the pitch. But now he works, he works hard out wide in a sort of untraditional winger's role, as I see it. And, you know, if you're, if you're as a neat midfielder and you're looking for options to pass it forward, um, Juba is an obvious target, but he's not the most mobile and not the quickest. And, you know, you've got Shatov who can run onto the ball, but Kokorin can use the ball very well and he's become less selfish, I find. Now, I thought that before we saw this story come out, I thought that we'd see finally, at least for the next year or two, and, you know, a, a mature forward-thinking Kokorin, but then a story like this comes up again and you just groan, don't you? Because it's, oh, it's Kokorin again. Um, I, giving up football, I mean, that would just be, that would be crazy. I mean, I, in my opinion, I, I, I think it was more of a tongue-in-cheek title, but you can see the point yeah, it's made. Yeah, sure. No, I, yeah, I mean, you know, the, it's, of course, but see, this is, this is for me as part of the problem. The fact that a tongue-in-cheek comment can be made about Kokorin and people take it as that it's not a surprise that he's that it's being said about Kukorin to shed that is going to take quite some time and um, a sustained work ethic uh, I think he potentially has it in him and I actually think um, Luchescu is the right sort of manager to be a, you know be a no-nonsense authoritarian almost with him over it so I think that's a good thing uh, I don't I don't want to attack Village Boris too much but I don't think Personality-wise, Village Boris was the right man to crack down on that specifically, that level of behaviour with Kokorin, simply partly because of his age, but also because of his character. Village Boris is sort of so single-minded that he he seemed to, in a way it's good because he focuses entirely on what he needs his team to do, but on a personal relationship level, he's never quite seemed to strike that chord with wherever he's been. Um other than Porto, I guess, at the beginning of his career. Luchesco, I think, is the right man to, to, to get the best out of Kokorin. But, I mean, just he knows by driving stupidly, getting that attention, it's going to unnecessarily draw attention to that side of his character just at a time when he's potentially at a crossroads for me. But um, I'm, still, I'm still behind him. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of Kokorin. Um, due to how he has adapted this season on the pitch. I just wish he would cut out the silly stuff off it, that's all. I mean, you mentioned Luchescu there. We saw after the whole champagne thing in the Euros, Luchescu was quite harsh with him there, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good thing. I, I view that as a positive. Um, and how he reacted to it, I thought would be very interesting. And I was impressed, on the, like I say, on the pitch, how he had reacted. I was going to say, he reacted quite positively to that, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the thing is, I mean, you mentioned Russian strikers and driving offences. Virtually nothing was made for fairly, I guess, understandable reasons of uh, Roman Pavlyuchenko, who was you know, driving in Yekaterinburg and he actually got out of his car and started a fist fight with another driver. Um, and nothing was really made of it. It barely made the news in Yekaterinburg, yet alone nationwide. You know, Pavlyuchenko's at the end of his career. He's an experienced striker and I'll be honest. He's not a he's not a big part of the Ural team. Um, he's he's just he's just lost his ability, should we say? But um, it's something that sort of attention for Kukorin. He knows he's a big name at a big club, and he's going to get more attention. So he should be more sensible. I I would I'm going to give him 
I'm going to give him the benefit, not the benefit of the doubt, but I'm I'm willing to give him the chance to sort himself out because he's in the right place. And we, we can't demonise too much the best talent in Russia. If, you know, if they show the willingness to change, to be mature, then they deserve that chance. And I think Kukorin, for me, fits into that category. I want to, I want to move to Toker, Andrew, but what I would say is, is he the best talent in Russia? But actually, very quickly, you mentioned Vyash Burst earlier and you said you don't want to criticise him. This isn't anything to do with the press conference feud you had with him, was it a couple of years ago? <laughs> um, not entirely, no. no. Uh, it <laughs> not bitter. No, no grudges there. I mean, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, um, I'll let, I'll let the the Russian press do that for me. <laughs> I mean, Toker, obviously, with your Danish background, we've seen this with. Bentner, I mean, that's almost unavoidable when talking to you about this. I was just about to mention the same as as someone who has followed Bentner for an entire career, always hope oh, every time he makes an interview said, now I'm mature, now I'm ready, now I've grown up, now I'll put in the work needed, and has been let down more times than I can count, so I just don't... I hope I hope Kokorin will finally uh, fulfill his talent one day but I don't agree with Andrew that he has been playing very well this season. In my opinion, he has been quite unspectacular. I think he has been almost invisible, playing out on the wing, not really doing anything. He hasn't been involved in in a lot of important things. I believe he has scored three goals in the in the league, and I, I think he's he's fading already. It's it's a shame because he he only turns twenty six on Sunday, so he still has a lot of time. And of course, we can still hope that. Something like Smolov happens to him, but I don't think Sydney will be the place for for it to happen. I think maybe if we're lucky, he'll move to a smaller club, he'll move abroad, something he'll get a wake up call. But but right now, I don't think he has his his rate is his head in the right place. Unfortunately, what, not. What I would say, Toker, is Kukorin did okay, did well in the Europa League group stages. I'd say I think he did okay. I saw him a few times there. Yeah, that's true. He did score. He did score a couple of goals there. He um, he scored twice when they beat A set at home. Yeah, I was there. And it was incredible. Yeah, that that's true. He did he did all right there, but again, set it was very very dominating, and and I I think you have to show it on a regular basis, and he just he just hasn't done that. He has played way too many irrelevant games, especially in the domestic league. Perhaps he's the kind of player who can only get motivated when. When there are a bit more spectators, I don't know about that, but at the end of the day, you have to perform every single week because otherwise, it's it doesn't really count. Um, speaking of what you said about the move abroad, there, I was when I was sort of doing some looking up on the internet about Kukorin and stuff. Our favourite rumor came to light. It was, I thought I thought I got the date wrong, but no, it said 2017. I think it was posted in late February. Arsene Wenger eyes Kukorin again. For about the third year running, when it's just not yeah. going to happen, it's incredible. I mean, no, I, I, I wouldn't mind, I guess I'll just jump in here at the moment. Um, you mentioned Toker, the idea of him moving to a smaller club. I actually think that would be, for for his perspective, I think that would be a bad move because I don't, I see his motivation dropping completely. Um, but why could, sorry, know, sorry Andrew, why couldn't he do a small of, for example, like when he went to Ural well, or something? Because honestly, I think small of is. Okay, I would, I would, I'll admit. I think Smoloff is a more mature player uh, and person. The thing about Smoloff, he he gets a lot of. Um, we we are a big fan of Smoloff, not just for his his ability on the pitch, which is 
incredible, but also, you know, his colourful Instagram posts where he puts silly pictures and whatnot um, up. And, of course, his history of Victoria and Lokareva. RFM bingo 2-0 to me, I'd like to add there. Um, <laughs> no, notice, can I tell but, a quick funny story about La Prera? Go on. Yeah. You, did you see this thing, um, you know, the Rostov game last week? Did you see the thing about Neil Custis getting stuck in Moscow Airport? Oh, yes. Go on, go on. Tell, tell us what you heard, Thomas. So, so I don't, if the listeners aren't familiar with this, go and find this on the internet. Neil Custis was 60 seconds late for his flight and was told he wasn't allowed to board. So he got really angry. And anyway, seven hours wait in Moscow Airport for his connection flight to Russell. Anyway, he was getting absolutely trounced on Twitter. But anyway, what was really funny, he said, anyone thinking of coming to Russia for the World Cup, don't. It'll be a waste of time, whatever. And then the next day, Lapreva <laughs> took him and some other journalists for uh, a tour around Rostov. And he tweeted, <laughs> he tweeted, oh, yeah, shows a really warm, welcoming side to Russia. And it's, it's going to be a great tournament or something along those lines. Like the contradiction was just incredible. I I actually I saw the first part of that. I didn't I didn't know he was part of that group who had been shown round. I mean, yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know the 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 thing about um, I mean, you, to go back to your point about you know comparing Smoloff and Kokorin, could could Kokorin do a Smoloff? The thing about Smoloff is, I think actually a lot too much has been made of. The, the early part of his career, clearly his head was not in the right place and he was distracted by the off pitch matters. But he's actually he's a very He's a very sensible bloke. He's he's a very well read guy. He he likes to he likes to read a lot of Russian literature off uh, in his time off. And he going to Ural was a gamble, but it was just a a beautiful gamble. It really was. And that's not just me being, you know, teary eyed at the the thought of it. But he really it it was just the right place at the right time. Where would Kukoin go at this point um, for the same impact? I mean, if, if he if he were to come to Ural. And, and follow his mate Fyodor, then that would certainly be interesting. But I just, I get the feeling that Kukorin, he needs to be at a big club to be motivated. I know Toka disagrees with me on his form, but the point I'd make about it is that he's, his role has changed. His role used to be a goal scorer, used to be the centre of attention, if you like. But as, as far as I'm concerned, he's... Um, He's now a different player. He's he's got to work harder, and he does. He he gets stuck into challenges, you know, further forward in the box, um, lost causes more than he did before, um, and I see that as a real positive because it's something that, in my opinion, is any needed really. Um, I don't know how useful he will be for the Russian national team if he can get back into the side, but I I just I just I don't know why I find myself defending him, but I just feel he needs that chance. I think he's. Not the best Russian player, not the best young Russian player, but certainly he is good enough to be a valuable member of the Russian national team. Um, and certainly for Zanit, I think he can do a job. So I, I would um, I would be strict of him, like Luchesko is, but at the same time say, look, I'm going to be strict, but I will protect you. I will, I will give you that chance, but you've got to earn it. And I actually think in the end he will. Um, sorry, Andrew, I'm going to have to disagree with you quite a bit, and you'll see in my next question to Toka. I mean, how does... Toker, in your view, how does Kokorin stop this sort of cycle of chaos? And also, can we now stop this facade that he is now the, the future of the Russian national team? He's 25 and he's still at it. it if he's not going to do it now with a big club at Zenit with a manager like Luchescu, when's he, when's he going to do it? <laughs> that's, that's a very good question. And I'm starting to think that we'll never see him live up to his, his full potential. He can still 
he can still be a good player. He can still get on the national team if he starts performing because we have seen him show in glimpse what he did. He has scored 10 goals twice for Dynamo a few years ago, but I'm starting to think that this is he, he'll be another lost talent. Um, of course, he could do a small off. He could suddenly get a revelation, but he's, I just don't see any signs of, of that to happen. I mean, right now he's on a very lucrative contract at Senate. I could even see them extend that contract simply because he is Russian, as long as the foreigner quote sticks around. And Andrew says that he will only be motivated if he plays at a big club, but you just don't play at a big club when you're a bad player. And that's, in my opinion, what Kukurin is right now. He he really isn't anything special. So why why would Luchesko keep giving him chances? I I think it's just a matter of time before he really see his he starts seeing his playing time get limited. This season was, in my opinion, his big chance. He has played almost full-time in most of his games. I think he has started 18 or out of 19 games, something like that. So he really has been given a lot of trust this season, and he just hasn't, he just hasn't taken his chance, simply. And at the end of the day, the, the results are fading right now, and I think Kukulin is a very obvious scapegoat. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to, to see him start, starting on the bench soon i mean i mean yeah. guys i mean i know um I, I know i can understand what what you guys are saying but i think what you're doing is you're, you're comparing him to his early promise in the role that he was his role is now different and i think that's the key thing about him i think i don't i don't disagree at all that he's not lived up to his potential um from when he was a very young player that that can't be disputed, but I think he's just become a different type of player now, and that's that's for me what is is actually encouraging. Um, but you know, so, sorry, Andrew, very quickly, he hasn't become a different type of person though. So therefore, his career is going to stall no matter where he plays. You could play him. Well, say, say he suddenly found out he's a fantastic central midfielder. His character, in my opinion, is not good enough. I, I, I'm not sure his character really is that bad though. I mean, his driving incident is not something you want to see happen, but I'm not sure that really translates fully into an irresponsible character completely. Because I, the reason I say that is because he's been moved into a less spectacular role, shall we say, in, you know, out wide of the, the, the three behind Zuba. Um, he's, he's been taken out of the limelight and, and he's still, he's still shown Nuchesco enough to be picked regularly. Luchescu has enough options in his squad. I mean, Robert Mack is not, not the best player in the world, but he is a winger. You hate Robert Mack. You, 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 give some, so? you give Robert Mack some stick, don't you? <laughs> well, I just, I just I don't see the point. No, no, I, don't, I, under, I, under, I, I feel the same, to be honest. He's a, he's a tidy player, and I don't get me wrong, he's, he's good enough to play a role as a squad player at Zenit, but he's never going to be a first-team player. If, if Robert Mack is a first-team player, then the ambition of Zenit has gone down drastically. Um, and the, the, point, the point I'm trying to make is this, that he he's... Um, he shouldn't be judged based on his early promise because he's not in the same position or the same role in the team or within the squad. And I'd say with his personality, you know, his 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 character issues, if you like, the the driving offence. Well, I, I can't defend that, but we have seen a lot of professional footballers who who drive expensive cars and they have they 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 drive stupidly. And I don't think other people get the same criticism of character based on that. Um, and I just, I just feel like he's he's shown maturity to to be on. We're talking on the pitch here. He's shown maturity to be in another position 
with a new manager and an authoritarian one at that, and he's if Luchescu is still picking him, I think it says something. I know the foreigners' rule is part of it. I'm not denying that at all. But there are enough Russians in Zanit's squad to not have to play Kukorin. Um So I just I think he deserves I think he deserves a chance to be judged on his new role, his new character um, on the pitch. I'm talking here, off pitch. Okay, fair enough. That's a different matter. But I just think he deserves more of a chance to be judged on his new role. Yeah. I- with it being two against one, Andrew, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna let you have that final say because I think it would be very unfair if Toker and I suddenly came in, tried to butcher the argument, and just left that sour taste. But um, I mean, we've pretty much come to the end of the time here. But Andrew, the the predictions league again, what's going on? Ah, uh, yes, yes. Uh, I've I've been a little bit late posting it, but I have actually just posted the video on the Facebook page of Russian Football News. So, um, yeah, we've got the Predictions League up. Uh, a lot of new players have joined. About five, six new players have joined in the last uh, two weeks. We've got a Clausura Championship. So if you're new to this, if, you, if you've only just heard about it, it's not too late to get involved. We're starting a new league alongside the main one, only starting after the winter break. So you've only missed two game weeks if you're, if you're just joining in. So, yeah, get involved. Look at our Facebook page. You'll find the video. Comment below it with all of your predictions. Um, and also, don't forget, we've got Europa League tonight. We've got a, the Europa League predictions game too. Um, so we've only got, obviously, the two games. We've got Krasadar against Celta Vigo and Rostov away to Manchester United. So keep your eyes peeled on the Facebook page for that. I'll put up another post in uh, in a few minutes for that. So, um, yeah, get involved, guys. Okay, perfect. And Toka, I mean, just to give you a bit of airtime as well, have we got anything else coming up on the website? I mean, I would check, I would encourage, we discussed Tom Tomsk earlier. You wrote that fantastic editorial, like Andrew says, on Tom Tomsk. I'd get everybody to sort of check that out. And is there anything new upcoming and any other pieces that you'd really recommend the, the listeners to go and check out on the website? We have a few few good uh, articles coming. Of course, we have the previews for all the all this weekend's games. One thing I'm really excited about, actually, we're starting a new series of articles next uh, on Monday where we'll post a chapter of uh, Spartak founder, I, I mentioned him earlier, Nikolai Stadostin. He wrote a book on, um, on football, on his life, back in at the end of the 80s where we'll bring a chapter of that book. That's eight chapters uh, every Monday over the next eight weeks. And he has some really, really interesting thoughts on on football, on how to run football, on how to manage football clubs, everything. And he even made some predictions. I mean, this is 30 years ago. He made some predictions about what would happen in football in the future that we see now is it's coming true. So that's that's really, really interesting. And you should all, all check that out on Monday because I think that's going to be a blast. You are an absolute tease. I really want to see those predictions now, but I'm not going to ask for them. I will read it on Monday. So, Anyway, just leaves me to say once again, thank you to my two guests, Andrew Flint. Great as always. Cheers. Thanks so much for putting up with me, Thomas. No, it's not a problem. We don't put up with you. We welcome you here, as we do welcome our great Dane, Toka Thelade. It's always a pleasure, Thomas. Good stuff. So as per usual, um, do subscribe to this podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud. Uh, if you can leave a review, I think I think you can do that. Um, that would be very kind of you. Five star, preferably. Um, Twitter, at Russ Football News on Twitter. So you can go and check out all the latest information there. We mentioned the Facebook page earlier, uh, Russian Football News. Just search that on Facebook. And, of course, the website, RussianFootballNews.com. 
So again, thank you for listening, and we will see you in a couple of weeks' time. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч.